Good morning. Good to see you. Good to be with you. It seems that each year, sometime during the summer, we hear uh, the tragic story of someone who drowned in the ocean uh, because they were in the water when the lifeguards weren't there. They were caught in a riptide and they simply didn't understand how dangerous the ocean can be. They came to the ocean thinking they could handle it, but not grasping the sheer size and power of the water. Those who, who know and understand the ocean come understanding the warnings. And when you understand the warnings, you are able to enjoy the wonders of it, what God meant for it to be. And that truth of warning and wonder is in the passage before us today concerning the reality of our coming to God. We are in Hebrews, studying through this book. We have reached chapter 12, coming near the end, verses 25 to 29. Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. In order, the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our Heavenly Father, we, we ask that by your grace, you would be speaking to us. We, we see in this passage that you speak. We want to hear. We want to know and understand. We want to see the truths about you. And so we ask that you would cause our eyes to be wide open and that our hearts would be wide open that we would learn of you, that we might know and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with that last phrase in the passage, verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. Because that statement is, is actually the foundation that the verses we read before it are built upon. Uh, there's obvious warning in those words that God is a consuming fire, and yet it is much more than that. If we narrow and limit it just to God giving us a harsh warning, we're, we're going to miss much of what he intends for us to know and understand. We are being told something about God. 
of his character. And God is entirely praiseworthy. And to know him is to know the God who is praiseworthy. Now, none of us wants other people to make up their own minds, come to their own conclusions about our character without knowing us. That would bother us greatly. What right do other people have to come to conclusions about us when they don't even know us? And yet, people routinely do that about God. People come to their own conclusions about what they think God is like. What would God do? How will God respond? What will God expect? People come to their own conclusions of that without looking to what he has to say. How can we possibly know the truth of God, this being so far beyond us, without hearing first from him, without God explaining himself? And God does. God does define himself, and only he can do that. And he does so through his word, the scriptures, the word of God. And so the Bible contains numbers of these God is statements. They help us to understand different aspects of the the character and nature of God that together we would have a, a clearer picture of him. To know that God is, among other qualities, also a consuming fire is like knowing the ocean. It is a warning given to us that we might, by understanding, be able to enjoy the wonder of God, the goodness of God, by first understanding the warnings from God. God created this world, he created humanity, and he did so in perfection. God declaring after each step of creation, and it was good. But the rebellion of sin has led to all sorts of evil and corruption and ruin that has entered the world. God is a consuming fire in that he will consume what is evil so that those who know and love him can live in what is good. To enjoy the wonders of God, which are very real and with which God has this great heart for us to enjoy, for us to receive the goodness and the wonder and the grace of God, which is measureless, we must first recognize the warnings from God. The warning we see in our passage is that we are not to ignore what God says. Verses 25 to 27, see that you do not refuse him, meaning God, who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him 
who warns from heaven. God does speak, which we should receive with wonderful news. God communicates to us. God wants us to know him, so God speaks. He has given us his word so that it's not just believing what others say they know about God. We go directly to what God has to say. So generation after generation, even century after century, we have a clear record of what God has to say, that each person in each place and time can directly go and read and know what God has said to us. That is part of the grace of God's love and care for us, of God wanting us to know him. God speaks. And because he is God, he is creator, he, he calls on us and he expects us to listen, to be attentive, to know what he has said to us. The example that is given of those who refuse the warning on earth, we, we know what he is speaking of here because this follows directly after the verses we saw last week where the writer of Hebrews was referring back to Mount Sinai where the people of God received God's voice to Moses who gave the law to the people of God. This is how you are to live. The people said, oh, we receive it, we're going to do it, but quickly, quickly that faded. And soon after, the, the people who called themselves the people of God were really just living any way they wanted. And they were ignoring, they were refusing to really believe, and they were certainly refusing to follow what God had said. Well, verse 25 goes from the one example to what it says is a greater one. If, if those who refuse to obey God, and so we know the judgment of God came upon the people of Israel, if, if that happened, how much more, it says, when we're warned from heaven. And so what is this voice now that says God has spoken from heaven? And the answer to that is, that God sent his son who became the word of God in flesh. He is the full expression of the truth of God. In John chapter one, verse 14, speaking of Jesus, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. He is the, the representation of God, the speaking of God to us in actual human form. Jesus, God in flesh, spoke and demonstrated what is true of God and what we must know of God. And even more of that, he himself was the way to God. As Jesus said, I am the 
way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. How does Jesus do that? Jesus went to the cross, and there he took the wrath that God must give for our sin, and Jesus took it upon himself, and Jesus died paying the price that we owe for our sin. All the refusing of God, all of the ignoring of God, all of the disobeying of God, all of the not caring of God, Jesus took that upon himself that we might be free of the penalty that our sin deserves. Through Christ, God has graciously and definitively revealed himself. And God will not be ignored in this. What God has revealed, if it was our disobeying of it, was not ignored when he gave a law to his people. We're being told how much more when God himself became flesh on earth the one before whom the voice of God actually spoke from heaven on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The Bible tells us that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus alone was perfect man. Jesus alone died for sin. Jesus alone has the authority to forgive sin. Jesus alone has the ability to take our guilt and give us his righteousness. Jesus is the singular manifestation of God presenting himself to us in the fullest way that he could, the clearest way that he could, so we might hear it and see it. And if we ignore the coming of God in flesh, these verses tell us there is no hope. This is the warning of God. He gave his son so we might know him. In love, he demonstrated his commitment to us by his son coming and dying for us. That was this great display of grace and love if we ignore that. There is no hope left. Our opinions about the ocean and whether or not you can swim through a riptide, our opinions about what we think we understand and what we can do are, are meaningless before the, the power of the ocean. Someone's opinion doesn't change the utter inability to be stronger than the power of the ocean. So our opinions, they cannot stop God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. There, there is no opinion we have. Well, I just don't think God would do that. 
Or, I don't think my sins are that bad. I think God should accept me. Or, I've gone to church all my life. What more does God want? What has he said? Our opinions do not shape how God thinks of us or responds to us. Our opinions have no effect on eternity. What is eternity? What is it like? How do we enter it? Is there judgment? Is it or not? Will we see God? What will happen? Our opinions have no effect on any of that. But the word of God tells us the realities of all of that. And graciously lets us know how to be prepared. How to come to God. How to to be prepared now so that we anticipate eternity. And that it is with gladness we see it coming. That it is with great hope that we think of the day when we shall see God. There is no fear in that. There is no anxiety in that. There is only anticipation when we know what God has said, have heeded the warnings, and have received his grace, given our heart to him through Christ. Verses 26 and 27 tell us that God will shake the earth once more. He is quoting one of the Old Testament prophets, Haggai. And it it tells us that this judgment is going to be unique. It says not only will he shake the earth, he will shake the heavens as well. It is referring to the ultimate and final judgment of God over all creation, over all beings, over all humanity, from the first person created to the last, over all the angelic beings and those who have gone their own way. It will be this judgment that reaches to the uttermost edge of all creation and the word and will of God will be done everywhere without exception. It will reach all who have ever existed and every soul ever created. Notice the language in verse 27. That what is shaken, he speaks of it, of removal. The removal of things shaken. God will remove from the heavens and the earth. God will remove every fragment of sin. He will remove all resistance, all rejection, all obstinance. None of it will exist anywhere in God's creation. He will shake it out and remove it all. And so those over the years who question 
can a good God exist? And the, the big question people think is unanswerable, that they have a right to deny God, the right to go their own ways because of this question, if there is a good God, if he is powerful, if he is there, why does evil exist? If God doesn't do anything about evil, why should I pay attention to him? And here the answer is, God will deal with every single word and action of evil that has ever taken place. None of it is forgotten. None of it has been overlooked. God will deal with all of it. Nothing will be missed. And there will be no injustice left in creation. There is, in reality, not a single sin that has ever taken place that God will not punish. He must, because he really is just. And he's not just good, he's not just better, he's perfectly good, absolutely good. And so, God who sees and knows he will punish every sin, either on those who still hold the guilt of their sin, or it was punished on Christ who took the guilt of our sin. But every sin will be punished. Where? does the guilt of your sin lie? Is it still on you? And time doesn't change guilt. Your opinion about how bad it is doesn't change guilt. It's either on you or Christ took it from you. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is against all unrighteousness in men. He will not miss any of it. God as a consuming fire is a statement of his character. It is a statement that reveals something about the many aspects of the nature of God that come together to deal justly with sin. In God being a consuming fire is the reality that God is holy, he is perfect, that God is just, he will deal with sin. He must be against all sin, it's his character. Within him being a consuming fire is that God is good and God is faithful. He will make sure no sin is able to enter eternity. That all of the ruin and corruption will not continue. God will remove it because he is good, because he is faithful. And in this, we actually see that God is love and that God is gracious 
Because the God who is perfect and just and holy is the God who sent his son to be the word made flesh, to die for sin and to set sinners free and to remove our guilt so that it will never be seen or found upon us, ever. In the eyes of God, where the forgiveness of Christ has come, he sees no guilt, ever. Romans chapter six tells us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. He is God's provision. There, there are not lots of provisions. There is God in flesh. God has made provision. To think that all religions are equal and that we just follow any one is not what the word of God says. There is only the name of Jesus that has been given because he is the only son of God in flesh, because he is the only one who died to pay for sin, because he was the only perfect man, because he's the only one who can bear the wrath, the only one who can forgive, the only one who can give life, the only one who has risen from the dead. Jesus is singular. Once we're in Christ, the consuming fire of God is the purifying fire of God. God in faithfulness and goodness and grace still must remove sin where it appears, but for those in Christ, it is the, the fire of purifying, removing that which would still stain us and keep us from all that we can and should be before him. And so we, we read in Zechariah chapter 13, I will put this third into fire and refine them as one refined silver. He is speaking about the people of God. And I will test them as gold is tested. And they will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. He speaks of putting people in the flame to purify them as you would gold and silver. And, and there is no anger there. There's no despair there. Those, he says, are being put through the flame are saying, you're my God. And he's saying to them, and you're my people. Gold and silver don't fear fire. Because gold and silver are not consumed by fire. The impurities are consumed by the fire. And when gold and silver come out, they are even more precious. Their worth has increased. And that is what the consuming fire of God does in his people. It removes the corruption that doesn't belong there. And it only increases the beauty and the worth of the people of God. And so, God's people, we look to him to be a purifying fire. 
we look for God to remove. And so we saw when we studied Peter, don't be surprised when fiery trials, when difficulties come. He said, because I am refining you. I am helping you where in your weakness you will not go because in my love, I want to remove every bit of corruption that you don't need, that doesn't belong there. I will do this for you because of my love for you. But believer, if, if you cling to your sin, if you remain obstinate, your life will be shaken. We see this 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 to 15. The Apostle Paul says, No one can lay a foundation other than the one that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So Paul says we, we have a foundation which is Christ, the only one that exists. And we build on that with a life. And we can build on that with that which is precious or we can build on it with that which is foolish. And the fire of God will come. And all that is done outside of God, all that we do in independence, all that we think, well, I'm going to do what I want, all of that will be consumed. Now, our foundation is Christ. He says, all that is lost. He says, we are still saved. We, we are in Christ. But all that we built apart from God is just gone. And think of what a waste of life that is. To know God, to have God, to be able to serve God, to have the Spirit of God in us, to have God's desire to use us, to have God's active presence and to not put that to use in life but just to want to get along with the world and use life foolishly and wastefully is that how any of us want to look back on the years that God has given us as his people do we really want to look at life and things that in a moment may seem to be so good, but he says it'll all be taken, it'll all be lost, it'll all be shaken out. And in that moment, though we will know the love of God is ours, the sorrow of life wasted. When God would use you in your place and time in ways that are good, wondrous, because it's what he is doing. 
if we heed God's warning, do not refuse him who is speaking. If we heed God's warning, we can enjoy his wonder. For our life becomes part of what verse 28 describes as the unshakable kingdom. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Once God removes all evil, what are we left with? All that's good for all time. We're left with what is unshakable, what can't be lost, what can't be taken, what is rooted, what is lasting, what will bear fruit. That's all that's left, and that will be all that is a part of us. It is the kingdom that cannot be shaken, because God who is the consuming fire also is God who is all-powerful. He is God who is all-knowing. God who is love, God who is faithfulness, God who is good, God who is eternal. Only God is fully any of these, let alone all of them. And that is why what he gives and does in us is unshakable, because he is the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-faithful, forever God. And so nothing done for him is wasted or lost or regretted. Nothing. However small, however difficult, however accused, mocked, however it seems to put you at a disadvantage, you will never regret anything done for him. And none of it will ever be lost. Not a fragment. Those who enjoy the wonder of God should show it. Verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. He says, be grateful. That's a commanded practice. It's not, you know, you really should think about being thankful to God. It's not, it would be nice, it would be appropriate. It says, be grateful. It's a command of God. It is to be the practice, the habit, the attitude, because God is worthy of it, because it is utterly inappropriate if we are not grateful. God has earned it. We don't wait for reasons. God do something new to make me thankful, because we always have reason. The guilt of our sin is always gone. The presence of God is always here. The love of God is always invested in us. The activity of God is always at work. Whether we see it or not, we are drenched in the grace of God. And it touches everything that happens to us. 
We always have reasons because we always have Christ. And are you really waiting for something better, something more than that you have Christ? Are, are we thinking that? Oh, I know I have Jesus, but what? No, no, no. How could we ever think that? We have Jesus and all he's done, but God, what more are you going to do? Sometimes being thankful, it feels hard. I know that. But when being grateful to God feels hard, we, we set our attention on Christ and we head for the cross. And we sit there and we contemplate the one dying, the blood pouring out, the one saying, Father, forgive them. We think of him and what he has done so that gratefulness would renew itself in our hearts. Give Jesus the attention you give to your problems. And secondly, be a worshiper. He says, let us be grateful and let us offer to God acceptable worship. Acceptable worship means by God's perspective. What does God ask of us? What does God think of how we worship? So how do you worship? Do you give it thought? Do you press in? Is it lifestyle for you? Uh, because when it says that we should give God acceptable worship, it, it doesn't mean, you know the time in the service when we sing those songs? Make sure you sing really hard and good. He, he's not just saying, make sure you do really well at the singing part of the service. He is speaking of our response, the response of our life to God. That is our worship. How do we live before God? Do you live as one who is Worshiping God before whom we are filled with awe and gratitude. For me, life changed when the reality that before God, most of all, I am to be a worshiper. And when I came to understand many years too late, but by God's grace, when I came to understand that I have the responsibility to worship God, in every situation, 
because Jesus is always my savior in every situation. When that reality found its way into my heart, outside of God saving me, nothing has affected my life more than that truth. When I committed that I will be in awe of God, everything was the same in life except for how my heart responded and perceived it. Why did God create the vast oceans? The Bible says all creation declares the glory of God. Oceans are the greatest earthly example of the wonder and power that we cannot control. And every time you you see the ocean, you be reminded God is not controllable. You don't domesticate him. You stand in all of him and you pay attention to the warnings of God so that you might live in the wonder and the goodness of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, how we praise you for the reality of Jesus that you spoke. And when in our obstinance we refused to listen, you did not withhold even your Son. You sent him to save us, to be what we never would be or could be. May we see freshly how wondrous Jesus is. For those of us who know him, may we be filled with all and gratitude for him who came for us. And Lord, we ask in your mercy that you would open the eyes of those who have never trusted in him who came and died for us to see and call out to you and that you would save them. Do this in Jesus' name. Amen.